0: You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SAS professionals that are curious about how other successful SAS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products.
1: Join us on our journey as we
0: speak to Nordic SAS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is
2: Rasmus Holst, the CEO at LMS365. Where people go, I'm going to compete against the Ford F-150. And in the US, they applaud and if you were starting that out in, in, in the Nordics and going, I'm going to compete against the most sold car in the world, everyone would go, what are you going to do? All right. Wow, well, then,
1: what an event. Wow, that is amazing. For sure. Like uh, my, my, my voice is, is still with me, which is strange enough, but it, it was a blast.
0: Yeah, it, it really was. It really was. Let's do it again next year. What do you say? It's happening. It's booked you actually people can already can already buy tickets you can buy tickets and we have the dates it's april 16th and 17th 2024 it will still be in Malmo. it will still be at slacktuset the slaughterhouse and and actually we have a surprise we're not going to talk about
1: it here but we'd like the- there's a new thing that we're doing 2024 that we never managed to do 2023 for various reasons, but it's like, it's going to be cool. You're going to like it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be cool. Yeah. Today's guest was actually one of the speakers here at the Sassist event the other day. And um, then he talked about how successful they have been with their distribution model, but they have also another recent success. Uh, they have raised a really nice A-round, and we're going to talk about that in this interview. Today, we are really happy to have Rasmus Holst, the CEO at LMS 365, here as a guest in the SAS Nordic
2: podcast. Welcome, Rasmus. Thank you so much, Thomas, and thank you, Daniel, for having me. It's great to have you. You haven't had enough of us yet, right? Obviously not. It was a fantastic (laughs) event the last couple of days, and uh, happy that every time you ask me, um, I'll be happy to be there. And uh, just having returned from San Francisco, where the mantra is uh, passive forward, uh, obviously, whatever we've... We've learned at LMS 365 and maybe some of what I've learned, if I can pass that forward and share it with the community, that's uh, that's what I believe at least the Nordic community should be all about.
1: Yeah, and that that's amazing. That That is really what it's all about. And we really appreciate you for, for taking the time, you know, both at the event and now here to, to share some of your learnings. And you just mentioned that, you you know, you've spent some time in, in the US, San Francisco. For the ones that might not know Rasmus, can you give us the br- brief background? Who are you?
2: Uh... I'm a 50-year-old Dane uh, who have, in my career, been part of exiting businesses for nearly a billion dollars. I've raised rounds seven times. I've been part of cybersecurity startups with no revenue uh, as the last venture before, LMS 365 called Wire. Um, I've been in the collaboration space with Huddle. Um, I've been in a Danish startup which was the first business outside of North America that got funding from Cisco, which also included the CEO of Sendesk and the CEO of OneLogin, Mikkel Svein and Thomas Peterson. And I started my career at Nokia with a 5310, uh, being uh, one of those people who said I would never need a mobile phone, but that was my (laughs) first job. So I got my first job with a mobile phone for someone who said I would never need that. I'll take that back, by the yeah, way. exactly. exactly. <laughs> How things change. Are you, do you have a commercial background or are you an engineer? I am actually sort of a hybrid engineer um, because we have one in, a, 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 an engineering degree in Denmark that actually focuses both on, on the commercial part and the engineering part. So I'm not a specialist in either, but if you ask me, where did I grow up? I grew up in product management. That was my training and that was my, my first 10, 15 years of, of uh, running businesses. And then also from there, it made more commercial. So I've run essentially strategy. I have run uh, product management. I've run sales. Um, I've run marketing. Uh, and I even at some point in my career got to run a, um, a fairly sizable development organization. Okay. I've tried most of it. I haven't run HR yet. Um, <laughs> as, and I haven't run finance. That would be terribly uh, dangerous. But uh, in <laughs> essence, that's, um, that's my career. So I've been lucky enough to try a lot of stuff across my career. And I actually think think the, the the breadth of of how you you get exposed to these things helps you when you're a CEO. All
0: right. And how come did you return to Denmark and the Nordics? Um
2: There's always a family side to that story, but I'll give you the business side to the story. You can give us the family side as well. My kids (laughs) moved home. (laughs) Um, No, but but the the business side of the story is that when I lived in San Francisco, I sometimes was uh, lucky enough to uh, give speeches at the Danish Innovation Center. So it's part of the Danish embassy in Palo Alto about Danish companies and their ambitions. And what they would face competing against American companies where the people who run those companies grew up in a competitive environment like very few other places. Mm. Um, And I always said, like, if there's ever an opportunity where you have something and the metrics that you have with LMS 365 and you actually have a chance, give it full gas and compete with the Americans at, at that competitive level. We can do this. We have a tendency in, 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 in especially the Nordic countries to have a view on longevity rather than this let's go uh, type of mentality that they have in the US. And I think if you marry those two up, you will actually have the, the very best company. And I think LMS365, when I read it on paper the first time, I went like, that's it. And if you don't take this opportunity... You should never again host a, a, a conference <laughs> <laughs> at the Innovation Center Denmark because then you're actually just speaking something you don't believe in. Um, so that's that's, um, that's kind of that's kind of it. and then and that so far has turned out to be a very right decision with the exception of the weather in Denmark.
1: Interesting. I actually wanted to ask you one thing on, on your US experience and what you just said here and like you know the Danes or the Nordics we're not always like let's go full throttle in this case. we're thinking about the longevity. But I always wondered, is it not because risk is rewarded much greater in the US? Like here, like all you get punished almost. Over there you can be a CEO that failed four times, but somehow they label you as like, well, you learned something. The fifth time you'll succeed. He he'll, you'll you'll be like they'll put you in a black box and
2: you're a failure forever. It's <laughs> it's actually part of what I spoke spoke about when I did this the the the, uh, the speeches, because I always take like examples like a Rivian where people go, I'm gonna compete against the Ford F-150. And in the US they applaud. And if you were starting that out in, in, in the Nordics and going, I'm gonna compete against the most sold car in the world, everyone would go, what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> and then subsequent, I actually take people through this whole, and then they light the whole thing up with fire, right? Because they believe that there's a window of opportunity. They don't believe that you are like a Mersk and in a hundred years, you're still the largest company in Denmark. They actually believe you have 10 years and in 10 years my that's the the, the uh, NasDAQ index or whatever will be made up of 50 completely different companies um, whereas in Nordics we believe that in, in this level of longevity and then I always unfortunately use my my poor son and, and in service of the competitiveness in his sports like every year 500 boys came back for for, for tryouts for the team right and they go out and practice and then they go back to see if they get that window of opportunity. It doesn't matter that you weren't on the team last year. Mm. I'll try this year. Yeah. And, and I think if we can instill some of that and actually get ourselves or move that to believe, then that will be uh, phenomenal. And then also, as I said to begin with, I'm close to 50. So if you take 20, 25 years ago, believing in that in the Nordics was really, really difficult. But I think that we have seen a number of successes. We're starting to see that, hey, it's, it's absolutely possible to do this in the Nordics. The talent is there. The belief is there. The ecosystem in terms of money is getting better. Uh, COVID showed that uh, we could easily raise, or not easily, but we could raise funds remotely. Uh, the VCs, you didn't have to live in Sandhilt Road and, and go say hi to the VCs and all of that. Right. Uh, the network of getting access to them is still important. But I do believe that the Nordic also starting to have a lot more ambition in that sense, and, and I think entrepreneurship has become the new rock star. I mean, we all wanted in back in when I grew up, we wanted to be rock stars, and now everyone wants to be a successful entrepreneur, raising hundreds of millions.
0: Yeah. So, uh, congratulations being a rock star. Let's come back to that <laughs> later. But uh,
2: before we do that, uh, tell us more about LMS three six five. So, LMS three six five, we play in the uh, learning management space. Just quick learn. It's quick on that. It's a three hundred seventy billion dollar market. It only grew bigger during COVID, so it's a massive market. And then you can say, and even the even the market map of who plays in that space, HR tech, is like a is like an eyesight test. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you make it? And there are even a few unicorns in the market um, that's come out of that. So. How do you then as LMS coming from Denmark, being founded by a dentist uh, some 15 years ago, (laughs) uh, build on SharePoint to begin with, how do you actually make it to international success? You do that by being very stringently focused on um, Microsoft Teams. So we are by far the best learning management system within Microsoft Teams, a decision made by our CTO, Freddie Bangin in 2016. And at that time, that didn't seem obvious. That was more like my statement on the Nokia uh, mobile phone (laughs) that you (laughs) never needed. (laughs) Um, Today, that seems like an epiphany. Uh, And when you have 350 million users that sits within an ecosystem and they need to do learning, uh, compliance training, onboarding, uh, career development, all of those types of things, you meet them where they actually are. And that's the claim to success. A very tight and, and close relationship with Microsoft throughout those years that we today are the ones that when they launch Microsoft Viva, we are the ones who are showcased on that together with KPMG. Um, and uh, when we even have Satya Nadella have the LMS 365 logo on one of his Inspire talks, uh, we think that, hey, here we go. Yes. But that's essentially the success. What's the point with Microsoft Viva when we're on the topic? Uh, it, it appears that I, I've never understood it. Think about it as a recommendation engine. Okay. Uh, I think long term, if you think about Microsoft strategy, and now I don't work for Microsoft, so this would be an interpretation. <laughs> the thing about it is you have a base layer of a, an Azure that hosts everything, Teams as the collaboration piece, then they want to add a lot of apps in between that can consu- be consumed on Teams. Yeah. And then they obviously want to do a recommendation engine, Okay. which is essentially Viva. Right. Hey, Thomas, if you want to compete with Daniel, he's just taken four courses on advanced accounting so you need to step it up, right? <laughs> okay. um, so, or as as part of your career plan, hey, you have an objectives and key result in OKR that talks about this. Maybe you should take this course as well. So it actually starts to to become more and more every. Right now, I think most people know it as an email that sums up your day or the day that's coming. Yeah. But I do think that if you think about it as a recommend as a as a corporate recommendation engine, that's how you should be thinking about it. It Would take in their, your BI, it would take in all kinds of things. But learning is is a key portion of that. And who's your ideal customer at LMS three six five? Everyone on a Microsoft infrastructure, of course. Um, and from there on, you then add that uh, companies in the size of two hundred to five thousand users. I know that's a bit broad, but the I we always say that we have the personas that buy us are usually a combination of a CIO and a learning and development manager. Yeah. Um, the learning and development manager goes, I want to reach as many people in the organization as easily as possible. And the CIO goes, don't go breaking our security perimeters and all of those types of things. And then they go, oh, there's one tool that sits within uh, Microsoft Teams that complies with everything Microsoft asks you to do. And uh, and it's easy for the users to use because it's just a button right next to all of their messages. Yeah. So they, if they, you only do an annual compliance training, it's easy to find. If you actually want to go find some training on your own and get started, it's easy to find. And then they can often very, very easily agree on it.
1: Talk about the power of distribution. It's nice to be able to, to leverage Microsoft Reach in this case, I suppose.
2: It's, it's more than nice. It's, uh, it's foundational. Um, so what we've done is that being a, being a company out of Denmark, we very, uh, in, in very contrastingly to most Nordic companies, we actually have 55% of our revenue in the US. Okay. Because of our distribution strategy. So we've used, of course, teams to distribute our product. Right. And the, that's the way the product gets in the hands of our users and our customers. Yeah. But we've also used the distribution channels that Microsoft have already built to actually gain access to markets. This means we are a- accessing 60 markets today with 23 salespeople.
1: And, and how does that look like Your 23 salespeople like, you know, how do they
2: interact with the customers? Or is there like a partner layer in between? Some of the, I mean, we, we still have um, a lot of direct sales. I'll try and outline that across, across uh, our portfolio. In the US, we almost have 100% direct sales because we acquired our main distributor three years ago. Mm. By the way, it's also the largest teams market. And if I can continue that just to complete that, Two years ago, we acquired our German distributor, and last year we acquired our Australian distributor. Those are, by the way, the f- largest Teams market, the third largest, and the fourth largest Teams market.
1: So, if any of your distributors listen to this, they know what's happening.
2: Nah, yeah, but if an, <laughs> but if if any of the distributors uh, listen to how we came about and some of the people in the company, there are a lot of old Navision people in the company, and if you looked at their story, um as an IPO story, they essentially use some of the same playbook. And it's a different way of thinking distribution because you give away a bit more of your margin. But if you then have the ambition to buy them back at some point, you actually buy back your own ARR and you just, you de-risk essentially the investment that most people do when they do their pitch deck and go, what are you going to spend the money on? Oh, we want to go to, uh, we go- want to go to the US. Right. And then you hire four five people and that may go, perfectly right or perfectly wrong um, right most of it goes like oh this is not as good as I expected and 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 and, and that's a that's a difficult part
0: but uh, let's put some numbers uh, behind the operation to, to you know to to get back the picture about uh, LMS 365 here so where are you today when it comes to ARR your growth rate
2: number of customers employees and such um, very rapid fire, $20 million in ARR exiting 2022. Uh, bootstrapped all the way to that, by the way. Um, we have 1,700 uh, paying customers. We have 1,900 uh, customers using our freemium uh, platform. We grew just shy of 60% last year. Um, we are a 175 people in the organization. And I think those were the stats you were, you were kind of looking for, the one of the key stats that that uh, that we also have that probably in, explains a bit of the secret is that our customer acquisition costs are around 10k dollars, uh, and our average first year revenue is about 12. Nice, and which means it's actually on the good side of not having to use more than 12 months and, and to uh, to uh, return uh, to return money to the business. And that's what, is, what has enabled the business to run bootstrapped all the way to, uh, to 20 million, which of course is not normal.
0: Yeah. But now the times are changing. Um, after being bootstrapped for that many years, you have just secured a funding round. So big congratulations on that. And uh, well, tell us more about it.
2: Obviously, if you look at our competitors, and I think this is a little bit of what we talked about to begin with, with the American approach, right? It's not that we want to light it up completely. But if you look at our competitors, one of the things that some of them have had, Docebo included, which we think have done an amazing job on their journey. Um, One of our competitors, Docebo, by the way. We thought if we have more cash, we can actually um, accelerate the growth uh, fairly easily. Think again, we have a fantastic distribution engine. So we went out in the market, not the best market in the world. Probably if you could pick timing, you would have picked anything but this time. Uh, (laughs) But to uh, come out at the back end of this with a $20 million round um, from Blue Cloud Ventures in the US, um, that... Is fairly spectacular, both of course for, for the whole team and also for the the journey that the company is embarking on, for sure.
0: That's a huge amount of being a serious A uh, round in, in Denmark or in the Nordics.
2: In the Nordics in general, yeah, it, I think it is. But again, think we've spent a lot of time getting to twenty million, and the business was just about um, just about hovering around break even. Um, we sp- over we we accelerated a bit through last year. Um, the spend, but other than that, um, obviously yes, it it looked it, it looked also from a VC perspective to be very interesting.
0: All right, and this was not your first rodeo. You mentioned that you have been uh, raising money seven times before in in the different endeavors so what was different this time
2: Uh, you can you can be i mean it was the first and foremost it was the first round for this company so that's certainly different because if you've done it before in the same company you know that it has been scrutinized before so we knew that that was going to be difficult um, the second part was that you were actually looking at, remember that uh, a year ago, we had valuations of 10, 12, 11, peacon exiting at 32, stuff, stuff like that. <laughs> X revenue, right? <laughs> right. So you have some, 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 some crazy valuation. And you obviously have some shareholders who sit with a portfolio that they th- really think you can multiply by 10, tw- 12, whatever that is. And then you just see the graph going downwards. So at that point, you really have to be certain that what you could come out with at the other end is a lot better because I think we've all been part of those or we'll promise revenue growth we will go into different territories, all of those types of things. But I think the one thing that's very different is you need to be very, very tight on your, on your execution plan of how you want to use the proceeds. That's, that's just paramount because it's no longer, oh, we'll do a company event tomorrow or anything like that. You really have to be very crisp, even with the way you want to use proceeds. And luckily, because our our com- uh, the company is built on a phenomenal distribution strategy that's easier to articulate than if you articulate that we've built a rocket ship of a product that needs 15,000 hours more to be perfect. Um because everyone can see how you can leverage the distribution strategy we have either by adding more products or adding more geographies or acquiring or all of those types of things. So I think that helped us that our, our storyline was mainly commercial, mainly distribution and less of a product pitch.
1: Right. And I'm curious, when did you start this? Like how long time did it take from the initial first meetings till the money landed on the bank account?
2: Five months. Five months, yeah. But it also took a lot of VC calls, I should say. Mm. I will also say that this has this actually has two aspects why it took longer because we did have some offers beforehand that we turned down.
1: And why did you turn the, turn them down? Was the valuation wrong
2: or no? Actually, not. So here's the, here's the difference in managing managing this uh, this part of it. I am in, in the situation where I don't have any professional investors. The company is owned by people who invest but they're not a private equity or a VC fund or growth equity fund right so in talking to them they didn't of course they could take a lower valuation in terms of long term returns but they were not super interested in then giving away a lot of secondary. And given that we were at twenty million, we did get offers that included a lot of secondary. But they say, "Hey, if we're going to take a lower valuation, let's try and get a primary round only." Right. Um, and in in that, you really have to be like, you really have to be sit, see both sides of it because as the business, you would like to have the cash and all of that, but you also have to do stakeholder management of your existing. Uh, shareholders and they have obviously backed you and they want to back you into the round they have backed us into the round as well right um, so you have to balance that hey where do you go to in this and say yes to to this valuation in return for us growing and this is essentially the thesis the thesis was if everyone else is 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 not having cash we have that we can grow through a crisis much faster and if we come out on the other side um bigger, stronger, all of that, and less risky, it will actually be worth more. So if we do not optimize, and I think this is an important thing, I think everyone optimizes for every round. I think I can safely say that from <laughs> from from every round I've ever been part of, but it requires something from the shareholder. And I, again, I can praise my existing shareholders. I can praise Blue Cloud Ventures for this whole process. That you don't optimize for the round, you optimize for the exit. And this is what everyone bought into, right? They said, we can put more on these rails. We can make this bigger all the way through. And I think that's, that's a very key, uh, key component of how this is done. Because Thomas, back to your question. So I just make sure I answer it. I think the other rounds were just like, let's get more cash in and then just put that into Google marketing or put that into something, something, something. It's not actually starting with the macroeconomic environment and say, what's happening here because we were all thinking it was going this way so i'm no different in 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 that sense but in this environment balance that the exit is is or whatever you have at the at the end of that yeah that that's the mindful uh that's that's what you bear in mind when you go through that
1: it may, may a stupid question but you know uh we have the pleasure to sit on this side of an interview and ask people all kinds of stuff that we were curious about ourselves so I'm just thinking when I listen to you here, like if there is a round where there's a lot of secondaries, like that gives you nothing unless you want to clean out the the cap table. Like, you know, somebody, some individuals will walk away with money in their pockets, but it doesn't help you uh, unless you wanted to, I know it sounds harsh, but maybe they've done their bit on the journey. Is that fair?
2: I think that's it. I mean, secondary is always payment for services rendered, right? right. So that's for being part of it, and um, and again, I think as a as a as a CEO these days, you need to be a lot more mindful of that because your existing owners. And they would always have seen that, hey, it doesn't, I mean, we'll take the highest valuation because it will still continue to grow up and your revenues will continue to go up at 60%. So the, the equation will always end with me making more money. So if I take some secondaries off, doesn't matter. Right. But right now that negotiation strand becomes very, very important. It becomes very emotional because you actually feel like then in the secondary round, someone are actually optimizing for the exit at that round, right? Yeah. And- and it's, I think the stakeholder management of that has become very, very difficult. Okay. Um, and 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 you have to establish that record with the board very early on. Yeah. Because otherwise uh, you will never make it through. So I c- again, I can only praise all sides of this uh, running around in the middle and, and people tend to forget how much time you spend on these rounds, that the commitment to the long-term was always there, and I think everyone needs to, to pay that, uh, pay attention to that also also actually owners right I think if you had had professional owners, this would have been even more difficult right because they have some they have some uh, covenants they have to to deal with yeah, but I think the discussion is actually universal right because we're all trying together to find a way out of this right and and uh, speaking about commitment,
1: I, I guess you know like you said, you know this was the first round. For LMS in this case, you have done it, you know, previously in your past life, but as an organization, this is, was the first exercise. Like, what did that mean to running the business as usual when I'm assuming you had to commit some of the resources to do some of the due diligence and prepare some of these things to close the round.
2: I don't think you can ever explain what this is to people who haven't tried it before. <laughs> Give it a try. Give it a try. No, no, no but actually, th- this is to my own organization. We tried. I have a, um, I have a guy called Henry Geber, who's also part of the Sassiest uh, Network. Um, he's been an investment banker. He's on the team as well. But he and I knew what we were going to go through, and the rest of the team didn't. So try and explain that hey on top of your daily workload someone's going to ask questions to everything that happened for the past 10 years in the business and try to figure out what didn't go right. <laughs> right. No, I don't think that's ever an easy uh, explanation to make. The other the other side of that is there are no one more proud than some of those people who've been with the business for a long time that you come out on the other side and they were going like this is why are people asking me this? It cannot matter anymore. <laughs> and you go, they want to know. Let's just answer it. And um, and then that's um, that's. Um, I think that's the tough one. And then again, one of the things I would actually say, and this is maybe a recommendation to the VC community, um, yeah. is that very early on we actually we actually made some agreements. I'll not I'll not detail them exactly, but if you take it that it was a gentleman's handshake on. Revenues produced throughout the period where we did due diligence and the valuation and all of that and the findings and all of that um, so that you don't have the usual kerfuffle at the end of the process where someone's found something, can we get 5% discount, all of those types of things. Right. There was a gentleman's handshake at the beginning which everyone kept and that meant that we could actually close the round without the excess of Wow, this is. I need to change this, and can we negotiate this? Right. That handshake, I think, becomes increasingly important. Okay. Because if I look at the last mile, or it's not the last mile, the last inches actually of this process, it was actually easier than what I've ever been through. Because that agreement had been made up front. That we did some concessions and we said, we don't know what you win on the, on, on, on the carousels and you don't know what you you lose on the the, the swings, but we all agreed that the best thing to come out of this was that we were actually building a better company and a stronger company and we believed in the long-term plan of what the company wants to do. Right.
1: PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. MyNewsDesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My MyNewsDesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit MyNewsDesk.com to start your free trial.
0: You mentioned that this was... Very time consuming for, for a long time. So besides yourself, who are the key players that had to deal with, with all of these questions for, for
2: for that time? Actually, the one th- again, if I may start with the good thing about the process, the VC actually, Blue Cloud Ventures, they actually went, let's get the sales guys in. Everyone, one go, one day. And we will never talk to them again.
1: So is, is, is this the, the, the individual quota carriers or the sales leader?
2: It was the sales leadership. Yeah. But we got them in a room for one day. They did all of that questioning and they said, we'll never ask them again. And that was, to the best of my ability, that was true. I mean, it was little pings here and there. It was, it was not the usual sales as part of, of two months worth of process. And they take their eyes off the sales ball so i think that was a key learning that was phenomenal i've been in the other situations where everyone to the right nobody looks at sales and then you have the whole then 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 you have a great negotiation at the end right um but in essence we we had people who run accounting for us for 10 years who were spending their days and nights we had our technical team who were actually excellent this is where you figure out that the technical infrastructure and the way we do compliance and all that that took like no time. So they were also quickly out of it. And then um, I will say we carried a lot of it uh, between uh, uh, Henry J. Berg. He, he deserves a huge accolade for this as well. And, and lucky that both him and I have been through some of these things as well. And then here's the weird thing. If you're a great business and you're a great, and you actually are enthusiastic about the business, I would even say our lawyers. Mm. I know I paid. I paid them at the end, but they felt like a part of the team. And the two guys from from, uh, from 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 our law firm, they feel like they were part of the team. They felt like, hey, we were part of this win. Yeah. And um, and that's actually that's fairly spectacular. One of them is a super young guy, uh, Ben, and I met him last week and just praised him in the middle of the whole office and everyone came home and said, who's this positive guy in the office <laughs> praising a lawyer? This never happens. Um, but but uh, Frederick and, and Ben from Miss they were phenomenal and part of the team. And I think we didn't have that competence. We don't even have a general counsel or anything like that. So it's the fact that they play as part of the team just becomes even more important.
1: Yeah. it's mean, super cool. And again, con- congratulations to you. And like, we're looking forward to, to where you will end up now and where this takes you. Uh, but we also wanted to ask you a little bit. We know that a lot of people in our community are, are looking to, to bring in more cash, to bring in more capital, to accelerate the growth and so on. Do you have any particular tips or tricks or advice for anybody that's, you know, in the middle of this exercise right now or about to embark on it? Yep.
2: Be very, be very crisp on long-term. Be very sure your share- existing shareholders buy into that because that's your entry ticket to actually get a term sheet. If you don't have that agreement, you're going to go back and forth on that, because then you're going to adjust that all throughout the process, and it's going to fall apart. Uh, I think those would be the two best advices. And then I would really, for uh, for the new money that comes in, be absolutely certain that you make that handshake up front and say, look, the old days were that we would fight about the last percentages at the end. Right. Let's just agree that this is how we how we go into uh, into the final negotiations because then everyone can keep their eye on the ball and keep the business operational because the, the processes will take longer. There's more scrutiny. Uh, and obviously, I will then say, it's easier when you sit on top of a $20 million close to, uh, to profitable um, company than it is if you have a million dollars and a great idea and all of this to say this. So I also know that this... It's not easy for everyone to do. In this context, this would still be my recommendation.
0: All right. So you have been in, in many of, of these funding rounds and probably met have hundreds of meetings with with VCs over the the years. Any red flags that you should be aware of when you talk to
2: investors? Red flags? Yeah. Uh, oh, there would probably be plenty. I think. Actually, I would give a different, uh, if I I may answer it in a different way. Sure. Go be more precise on who you want to speak to. Mm. Because often the ones that, that, uh, again, we're lucky that, hey, when you tell our business metrics, most people are interested actually. Uh, one of the things that I did was that um, I am lucky enough to have a little bit of a network in Silicon Valley um, and one who's also part of our advisory board, Larry Chu from Goodwin Proctor, uh, one of the M&A partners there. He's making me a better person because he f- remember, or reminds me that you need to pass it forward. So when I asked him, could you help me with introductions? He did that. And the power of that is that every single one that I wanted to talk to, basically jumped on the phone because of him. Or if they weren't, if they were too large for us for the round, uh, they basically passed me on. So I skipped a lot of the the uh, initial meetings uh, that most people have to go through. Um, and again, I can only be super thankful that I have that network and that I can do some of that. But the the, the real recommendation here is asking your network if they know someone who's right for you. Because otherwise, there are a lot of people who will listen to your story. You will spend a lot of time telling the same story over and over and over again. But it, you can really feel that it's like two or three. I knew that we would have, that we that of the ones that gave us a term sheet, I was fairly sure that those would be the ones.
0: All right. So uh, what would have happened if you didn't get this round, if you were you know, still bootstrapping?
2: Um then we would be still bootstrapping. <laughs> it's a super great question. And, and the answer was was uh, was, was not uh, accommodating for that because I think everyone in this situation, if you run it bootstrap, let's not kid ourselves, you don't run and have like boatloads of cash in the bank. That's not how you operate, right? You try to invest as much as you can to grow as much as you can. You don't achieve 60% growth last year if you don't invest. So obviously, you will have to pause. Mm. And... And and you will just have to see what does this look like, and just be a little bit more certain. I think we we uh, we would have done the same. We did a short hiring freeze just to say, okay, let's just see if this this happens. But that was about all we did, um, just to make sure that, that that we take good care of the company because that is still the most important thing.
1: All right. Yeah, because well, what, what I'm uh, what's also I think interesting if you can touch upon it a little bit because. There could be a scenario where you you go through this process, we've seen companies, they've spent time, energy, money, and it's a little bit deflating when the CEO comes back and says, you know what, we're postponing the round. Yes. Like, you know, that could kill the moral and like all these ambitions that people have painted. like, how do
2: you tackle that? I don't know if you've been in a scenario like that, but like... Oh, obviously yes. I'm old <laughs> enough that I've been in. in yes, we, expo- we we postponed the round uh, situation. So, and it is as you say, it's deflating. And I think it's one of the things that I grapple with the most. That when you're a CEO, you actually have to tell that this process start because there will be people involved who will ask questions. You can see that they are that things are happening that's not normal and all of that. So you essentially commit to your plan A like massively and it is deflating beyond belief if this does not happen. So for me, you really have to commit to the plan A and make it work um, because it, you're, you're in, the entire mood of the company, are we winners, are we losers, it actually stands on this. All of a sudden, everything you've done before, like, hey, now we're moving into the next league or we're not. Mm. Do you need to have a plan B or do you really make sure that you execute on plan A? I think this, the secret is to have 10% plan B and 19% belief in plan A because your entire, I don't think you can make the in-between communication that, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this on and then ta-da, here's an A, here's an a round or a B round or something. like Maybe if you're a C round, it, it's part of the cycle of the business, but especially with an A round, it's really, really difficult. And I will say very open and honest that you also have the days where you're going, this is going to work and you come home from work and my wife will find the most happy and and wholesome person coming back home. And (laughs) you will also have the days where um, she's luckily known me for nearly 30 years now. Uh, Also, I just get a big hug and she just goes, look, I can see what's happening now. What is it? And you need to have that network both at home, around you. Someone who's not part of the business where you can just lay that off. So maybe someone who understands. I was I, was, I worked with a, a, a Martin for f- nearly 15 years. He was the one I, I basically worked to, in tandem with for for most of the races, most of the exits, all of that. Um, and you d- just need that network around you that tells you believe in it. Yeah. And I can only say I'm then also very very lucky that I found a, a, a chairman of the board. Um, who is a very empathic person? Uh, Lars Damsgaard, previously Navision, uh, and we—he and I—spent a lot of time on the phone during this process because he also was very um, caring about the company, caring about getting this through, and actually caring about me as well because he knew what I w- what you're part of. Sounds great. So now you have uh,
0: twenty million in the bank, or more <laughs> that you can expand your business with. So, what's the future for LMS three six five? The next few years?
2: The way I would explain it is we have uh, enough. Our average revenue today is around 12000 If we can move and again, think that HR tech has a lot of components. Right now, we do learning management. You could be doing performance management, recruiting, culture amps, whatever. All of those types of things that sit in this eyesight test of a market. We believe we can put more things on those rails. Okay. Because if we can replicate the way we distribute the way we meet our customers, where we find our customers, these products could essentially sit next to it. And performance management on average costs like fifteen thousand as well. 12, 20 to 50 of A hiring system in a small range costs the same. Yeah. So you're talking about expanding
0: the portfolio or yes. Yeah, okay.
2: I think that that's it. And I am I'm then on top of that I'm lucky enough that our our new investors go one A. They are investors oh, I'll do that again. Our new investors, Blue Cloud Ventures, are also investors in Go One, which is the largest content provider in the world, or one of them, together with LinkedIn Learning, uh, with whom we are also partner. Uh, but they are also um, they are also invested in Pax Eight, which is one of the largest Microsoft distributors in the world. So when I what I got in addition to just the money, I also got distribution power, more understanding of the market. A very complimentary offering from from uh, Go One, with whom we'd already partnered beforehand. Um, so I think we will use distribution as king to uh, move to the next level. So that should be exciting. All right. And it's less about building out our, our geography, uh, because as you heard at the beginning, some of that is done a little bit differently to um, to to how other companies do that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and now there is a lot of people listening here from the community you have a chance to do a shout out. Is there anything that you're looking for right now or do you need help with anything in particular to fuel your growth?
2: Right now, I think it's it's one of those, take a deep breath and um, make sure you restate the strategy one more time to the business. Um, Actually, remember that you were absent from the business because as the CEO, I know I was, I can just see it. If you just look at task lists, there's no way you do a raise along with doing all the things you need to do and remember to communicate to the business and be part of things in the business and all that. So for me, the the shout out really is to myself to go, please get back to what you need to be good at on a daily basis, not on a showcase window of a fundraise because that's what makes the next portion of this success that we all believe that what we believe we could get to here that we now believe we play in the next league and that we can move that to to another league, for sure.
0: All right. And now when you have some more time to do other things than chasing money, uh, if you have a time to listen to a podcast, uh, would there be anyone that um, we could get on the show that would be of interest of you or any topic that you would like us to cover?
2: I actually think that that I would I think you would serve the community very well because I know a lot of people are looking for money to have different perspectives on this whether from VCs or actually combining VCs and CEOs looking for money and do that because I think we're all trying to figure out on top of Silicon Valley bank market's going down on we're trying to find out what our friendship pattern is here yeah uh, because it needs to be that yeah if it's just I will win and you will lose we will all lose as an ecosystem mm. and we all need to figure out i again friendship pattern i don't know if that's the right word that was made up on the spot but the fact that finding that that um that that place where we find good deals and we help each other and move forward because the whole ecosystem needs it and i do think that I, I offered one perspective but i think a lot of founders especially who may be raising for the first time or the first big round i think um that would be super interesting. And I know some of your, your your backers are also from the VC community, but if you can have that interaction actually as to how we all look at it, I think that would be immensely interesting to a lot of the people in the network because I think we are all looking at what do we do with cash growth, profitability, EBITDA production, all of those.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, and we hear the same from the community too. So. Who knows? Maybe the next event we'll do going to be a, a CSS Investor Day. Ooh. <laughs> Just throwing oh no. it out there. <laughs> I would vote for that. Okay. See how
1: ideas are born.
0: Mm. All right. But, but Rasmus, thank you again uh, for taking time with us and sharing your news and your experiences. And, and again, it was great um, listening to you at the event here the other day and looking forward to uh, yeah more collaboration and follow your journey moving forward
2: yeah and thank you for everything you do for the nordic community it's important that we have a place also when it goes well but also when it goes the other way where everyone can come and get inspiration so thanks for providing a platform for all of us to share ideas concerns wins losses all of the things so uh, thank you to both of you for doing that uh, so regularly and so well much appreciated.
1: Together, we're stronger. I had to say it. Yes. Together, we're stronger. <laughs> Let's end on a high note. and That's <laughs> yeah. how we ended. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show
0: now. Take care. Take care. Thank you. So, Daniel, what's your takeaway from the episode today? Actually, Thomas, I'm going to be nice to
1: you today. I always go first. And I know you say like, oh, I go second, this and that. Why don't you go first this time? And then I'll see what I think of. What did you take from this episode
0: I will take home the power of having a good network around you darn it that was mine (laughs) it was yeah (laughs) okay no but but as he said when we asked about you know how how do you um, avoid the red flags or how, how do you sort of spend time on the right things so if you have good advisors around you, if you um, if you can sort of piggyback on others' networks and so on. And that's exactly what we're doing here in, in the, the SaaS Networks, help each other out with those things. It makes it so much easier uh, when, when you come to the table with these investors and other people that you want to get in touch with. So make sure to have time to grow and nurture your network. I mean, we know that it's a lot of work running a SaaS company, but I mean, you can't ever have too many f- friends in the ecosystem, I, I think. So it's worth investing in in that time and also to pay it forward because what goes around comes around.
1: Yeah, I see what you're saying now. It's a little bit more tricky to go second. <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent point, Thomas. Uh, I was thinking a- along the same lines, but I-, I guess if I would add to something I don't know if it's a philosophical question or a bet or a risk you need to take i was thinking about what he was saying when you commit yourself and your organization to this you know it's it's a hard commit yeah you you, you got to be ready to push all the way through here because you know you can't run parallel tracks and, and be yeah, communicating about we might go left or right or let's see what happens it's like. So you got to get your ducks in a row, you got to be ready as a CEO, as an organization that we're going this way and we're going to be successful. Because if you're not, that could have negative consequences that you can't control. Mm. Even though the business is just like the same it used to be. But people might feel like deflated and discouraged a little bit because they were told about this great new future and it didn't happen. So like. if if you're going on this make sure you're transparent and make sure that you can actually pull it off otherwise it's just not great
0: (laughs) exactly all right so um i think that's that for today so we're just going to take the weekend off uh, you know lick our wounds and start looking into the future there is so much other things that we want to do together with you in the uh, in the cessnodic community Uh, everything from uh, jobs days to investor days to uh, the sassiest digital in the fall and the networks the podcast on the website whatever so but um, if you want to keep track of what's happening here you can head over to sasnordic.com and take part of um, what's there all the um, article material the networks uh, make sure to sign up to the newsletter so you get all the news and um, well, I think that's that, then Actually, I have one more thing. Um, in your
1: inbox, if you were at the event, yeah, you've seen that we've asked you kindly for feedback. And a lot of you people have already done that. So we'd appreciate that you guys, as open and honest, tell us you know, about your experience at the event. That is how we get better. That is how we enhance and improve and make this experience even cooler next year. So if you were at the event, you know, take a few minutes just to, to answer those questions. That would be cool.
2: Yeah,
0: and it will not be anonymous let's look at each other in the eyes <laughs> yeah. and, and say what we think we 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 can take it and uh yeah. yeah it's difficult to insult us absolutely absolutely all right i think that's that so um see you soon again we'll continue spitting out this podcast so um, yeah see you around take care now